This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 84, with guest Bettina Schmitz. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Sorova, and welcome to today's episode. To my show, I invited Bettina Schmitz, founder and partner of AUXO, the Berlin-based Female Catalyst Fund. Tina's work with AUXO sheds light on the challenges faced by female founders in the startup ecosystem. During her former times at Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, together with her team, Tina has invested in over 100 companies at pre-seed stage, including N26 and Study Smarter. On the show, she shares her advice for those seeking investment and navigating the world of venture capital, and also she speaks on how one can get into angel investing. So let's get started on today's episode with Tina. Make sure to follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming platform of your choice. Hello, Tina. Welcome to the show. And thanks a lot for finding time in this busy time of the year for our conversation today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I had my birthday on Saturday. Exciting. So that's why you were eating cake for breakfast today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and lunch. And lunch. <laughs> Something you mentioned uh, when we were writing is that you always look for the right environment for yourself early on. And um, one of the places you went to was London early in your life and career. Can you tell me more about that, about those environments and also about uh, London? Mm, so I guess I think I learned later that I was looking for the right environment. For me, London, I first went to London when I was 12 with my parents. I'd lived there when I was a baby. And I remember going there and at 12 having this, which I now think is kind of horrible, utopia of me in these high heels and short skirts in the city. (laughs) And I liked things that were sort of fancy. Okay, but you're a Berliner, right? So I'm a Berliner, yeah. It's hard to imagine this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I just thought, I mean, for me, there was really, I was a really kind of go, go, go kid. And like, even as quite an early age, probably a bit of a dopamine seeker. So that's maybe where it came from. I thought like, oh, I need like the super fancy city with the super fancy job and all the things fancy. That doesn't make me sound like a nice person. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a nice experience, But I was still a child. I shall be forgiven. And still you came back to Berlin. So the roots were calling you back. Yes, yes. When I realized at 28, everyone moves to the suburbs and says, wow, it's only 45 minutes commute. (laughs) It was kind of game over. You're like, something is off, guys. You don't get the whole thing, right? I feel like in Berlin at 28, like everything is just getting started in Berlin. Last thing you want to go is to suburbs. Berlin is calling. You did consulting in London and a lot of people usually like complain about it as being like the worst great for like early experience but the terrible place where you get exhausted and not treated properly but you always said like this was one of the like best challenges that you experienced yeah for me it was amazing on so many levels so it's really was the best job for me until building my own company and I think the why that was the case was I had come out of a math degree with very limited vocabulary like 25 words like this if then, <laughs> therefore proof. <laughs> that was it. And no, they were just a great environment for catching people that thought sort of differently and channel that into kind of clear thought. And they always look for the true answer, right answer. It was always the question, so what is the right answer? And in so many big corporate jobs or whatever, it's so much about politics. It's not about what's actually going on. Um, and I loved it. And 
The other thing that's really amazing in consulting, and this is something that I found in in, in venture as well. So there are lots, lots, lots of parallels actually. But the the one that um, that's kind of the least obvious is that in you have aligned incentives. So in consulting, it's really the consulting company is happy if the people get better because they can charge them out more expensive. Yeah, they basically like put gold on their product. So you have total aligned incentives with your employer. And the same is the case in venture. When I invest in a founder, I want them to get better. It's all about making the other people better and the company more valuable and the founders more valuable. How do you make a founder better? I think it's by empowering them. It's like, is that, that's like empowering is the worst word ever. But um, what we always try to do and is I really truly believe that for most questions, people have the answer and you just need to give them space to say the answer and to make them listen to themselves and make them listen to their gut and be themselves and be authentic. And that's what Giza and I are really passionate about making happen. You mentioned actually, also again, like speaking of authenticity, like what is per se like authenticity is for you? For me, it's being like your complete self, including your body, your heart, your mind, your soul, your thoughts, your fears, your doubts your chaos, your mishaps, but also maybe the ways in which you're kind of ingenious or really smart or really efficient or really productive. You know, it's like it's the whole package and it's not having to hide any piece of it because if you hide one piece, you hide other pieces. Right. And so if you can only really, really, in my view, be effective and be and take full of, take advantage of the full potential if you can show up with all the weaknesses and, and all the madness. But this is so tough because I'm thinking about the founders. I mean, this is like you constantly need to pitch yourself to the investors. You need to be this perfect, you know, can-do mindset. You're great in financials. You're great as a leader. You're great as a business developer. Like you need to have strengths everywhere. You need to know what you're doing. So ultimately, you want to be the best of the best because if you show weaknesses, it's considered to be like, aha, this is where your weakness is. This is my big gap. Yeah, but this is where people get it wrong because it's not, that's not the case. What people want, what investors want, is to see that people know where their weaknesses are and fix it. You know, it's all about seeing the... So the investor doesn't look at, oh, they're amazing at this, 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 and this. They're like, where's the hole? Where's the hole? Show me the hole. And it's okay. Like, And, and what you don't want to happen is that, the, that you t- pretend there's no hole or there's no gap or whatever. I don't really know what the right word is in English. And uh, that there's no like fault and then it gets discovered. The best thing is to be open where the fault is. And that's the same in teams, that's the same in business plans, that's the same as which are the assumptions that we still need to find out. You know, you can say I have conviction on this and this and this. I don't know yet. We're finding this out first. And the same is for for building teams or on your own skill set or in your teams. Like we're really great at this. We know the first person we need, need to hire is this person. We've really thought about what the profile should be because actually it's not just a skill that we're lacking, but also a personality type that we're lacking. Yeah. So, and the more thought out that is, which you can only do with deep self-reflection, the better, more convincing it is going to be towards an investor because that's what people want to see, that people are really self-reflected. So coming back to your story, you mentioned that in your own life, you always looked or, or like you, you found yourself in taking on different roles for yourself and through that you kind of experience different skill sets, different environments, different learnings, by where your personal professional journey had so many angles to it and and pivots. Yeah, so I think there's the I mean there's this thing that I told you about that I've just been diagnosed with ADHD last summer. And I think because of that I was also always masking a lot of stuff. 
So last summer, you never knew before. No, I didn't know before, no, no. So the big thing with ADHD is that you go into something called compensation mode and coping mechanisms. Yeah, so for example, my first coping was I really got into maths. So one thing with ADHD is not just that you like fidgety and jumping around. It's also that you have like really strange attention stuff. And my attention is I have extreme hyperfocus. And so since I was a kid, I did maths. Like I just took my brother's math book and that's all the, did all the maths. And then I was the math girl. And I wasn't very good at reading and writing. So I did even more math and even more math. <laughs> that's how I ended up studying, my, studying math at university. Although I never even thought about whether it's actually what's good for me as a person. It was just like that one thing, that role that I took. So, yeah, so that was the role I took. I liked roles, you know, like I said, I wanted to be like a fancy lady in the city. That was another role I took and it's just taken me so long and I feel now I've really found a role that works for me, but it, it has been a role I really had to uh, define myself and the company that I had to build myself and um, in an industry that allows for some flexibility in the job that I do. For some time, you served also as a vice president at Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, super well known in Berlin. And you were involved with like very known, notable portfolio companies like N26 and Study Smarter, a couple of others. You did mention this was like the moment when you realized this is kind of like a start of your dream job. It's such a wonderful job. And it goes back to what we said about consulting. It's Because you have the aligned incentives to make the people better. You are so blessed to work with people that are really on fire all the time. I'm not very patient and I'm not very good with people that don't give their all and don't put everything in. And so it's just so great. I get to work with all these people that are just really wanting, running towards their goals all the time. And I sometimes feel like it's like having an adventure portfolio. It's like a pool with lots of little, like imagine when you were a kid, You know, when they're like these these remote boats, remote control boats, and you just like put them on high speed and they go. And sometimes they go like off track and then you just need to give them a little, like a tiny much, but then they keep going to a better direction. Sometimes they crash against the wall, but it's like, it's so fun. It's just really, really fun to watch people really run and thrive. And then it's really also if you if you build a nice relationship with them, it's also great to pick them up when it's not going well and to really see them develop in it. Right. And I mean, it was like for seven years you were there, right? Over seven years. Mm. And you invested in over 100 companies at pre-seed stage. Like, that's a lot. Yeah, well, it was kind of accelerated. So we didn't really, it wasn't like as thorough as, and why are we investing, da, 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 like we do now. You know, we didn't do a DD to that such an extent. It was really much, very much like one pitch, a little bit of a look into the market, for example, or further questions, and we had a selection committee, and then they were in. Yeah, so it wasn't the the so much of my work now is doing the selection, which comes back a lot more to the work that I did when I was in consulting, when I worked on private equity, where you put a lot more effort into that. But all the more, it was work in working with the companies and getting close to them and making sure they are running in the right direction. And maybe if you like, can boil down to like a couple of key learnings. You had such a diverse range of experiences from, you know, we're going to talk about your own venture right now, uh, working at Axel Springer, Axel Springer Plug and Play Accelerator, being an angel investor, which we're also going to talk more. But all those experiences, being in consulting, it's just a, a big range of experiences, roles and things you took on. How do you think like that shaped your approach to investing and your own personal strategy when it comes to finding startups, investing into startups? I think it's a little bit about like the sorts of wisdom. I've seen a lot of like 
kinds of power structures, a lot of kind of people. Especially, I mean, what I always say is like, I don't know whether I have really great judgment, but I have a really good sample set when it comes to startups because we saw so many in the accelerator and so many founder profiles that you kind of start like spotting things that work that don't work, problems that might come up. So, and maybe it's the same with a, with a diverse range of experiences. Although I didn't feel it's that diverse, what I did, it was just a lot of, probably a, an extreme amount of slightly strange people. Just having sense for things, you just know when it's right or not. It's a certain trust, I guess. Huh? So um, I think the other thing with, so example with math, you know, like I always wonder like, why did I do this? I don't even understand. Like I look into my first year textbook and I don't understand a single word that's written in it anymore. And it's like, why did I waste this time understanding this when I don't even get it right now? But what it did build was trust and logic and trust that I can understand things and that trust that I do have very good logic. And maybe that's what the, the rest of the experience gives is just like, yeah, some sort of trust in your own wisdom or God. Would you also say, I like that. I mean, that's very <laughs> powerful. I mean, would you also say like you're a bit of like a human detector? I'd hate to say that about myself. No, I think if you're going to like nail me down on saying something that I think I'm good at, I think I'm good at getting people to get to the truth of what they really think. So it's like, don't have wine glass with Tina because she will like... She'll catch you. You might get into that situation. <laughs> you might get into that situation. When, as soon as you relax and you think like this, things are getting informal, she'll be like, ha, got you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about like the moment you put on the hat of an angel investor. Why that happened? That happened for a really clear reason. I had my kid and um, I'd always wanted to do an MBA. And I realized life has not gone that way. <laughs> so was it before Axel Springer or like after? It was uh, while I was at Axel Spring, I had my kid and I had just started working full time in the accelerator for like a year and a half when I got pregnant and had her. And yeah, so after I had her, I was like, oh, I, I want more entrepreneurship. But in the way that the company was set up, there was no way to get to almost get in the game. There was no good way to get to carry in the structure that we're in. So I decided to do some angel investments with the money that I was like mentally put aside for an MBA. So, and I'm in a, I come from a privileged situation that I can take risks. I will inherit some money at some point, not to an extent that I never have to work, but um, that I don't have to take put, um, additional precautions for pension. So that gives you a bit of a buffer and kind of this acceptance of that risks. Yeah, I can go all in on, on risk and that's uh, super, super privileged. But I made the decision to go <laughs> all in on risk. <laughs> no, and I also thought like this is the only thing I know and... I felt I had from the so hundreds of companies in Axel Spring up like and play and everyone knows like second time founders are better than first time founders. I was like, that's great. I have a great sample set. Like I can go fishing from all these guys I used to work with that I had good relationships with and just do the second companies and back the second companies. But that all went a bit slow and then I met Giza and um we just went a lot more professional and organized about doing it all. Okay, but a lot of people are asking me, like, hey, I have this amazing experience as an operator. I have some kind of like capital set aside or I have some also like buffer and I want to try things out because I have this experience working in this amazing hyper growth companies. I have a good understanding of things like and I just want to get my head into angel investing, but I cannot do like, you know, big tickets, right? It's more like something I just want to back up really cool people, but I cannot do in big like how can they start angel investing? Where should they start? So um, I did a whole podcast series on this. <laughs> That's female, true. Female Business Angel podcast where everyone talks about how they start. And I think the things we learned from it were, were a few things. So one is um, you need to really build your brand. You need to know why people should put you in the cap table. 
And then you can start convincing people to take you with very, very small money. So we have some people on the podcast that started with like 5K, you know, like on a ticket. But if you can say like, listen, I don't have much money, but I can bring this, 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 and this. I will always advise founders to take someone, not just for the money, but it's so cool. I mean, if you take a business angel in, you get like, they give you money and they give you advice. It's it's awesome. Yeah. As long as you can be sure that they're not going to be annoying and that they're going to be responsible, all that stuff. I always advise founders to take people that are really committed and really excited about it that don't have much money. So people can start with very, very little money. So you need your brand and you need to know what you can deliver. For me, the absolute game changer was finding my gang when I found um, Giza and Fabiola, who I did the angel investments with, because I wasn't fast enough, I wasn't decisive enough. I kind of thought about it too long and too much, and then it was done. And <laughs> Because you have to like hassle your way to get in, and you need to be fast on your decisions. So it's good when you have like a couple of other people and you're checking in on each other, or like you have similar interests. This is why we started the Evangelistas. You know, we started a female business angel network. It's because we wanted to have people that we could like shoot things back and forth. And it's a great place to find other other women that are investing. Yeah, so I think finding the gang, your gang to invest with is is so helpful. That's cool. And when you said about that brand and that why, what was it for you? Why were the startups speaking you as the angel investor? So the way that we thought about it when we started was that we kind of cover the full life cycle. So I had a lot of experience in extreme early stage investing. And Giza had been in a growth company at Black Lane and Fabiola was in PE. So we thought like, hey, we can actually cover the entire life cycle Plus, we were women, which was then very strange. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> this is how strange people thought it was, because we were just, like had only deployed about 75,000 uh, euros. The Handelsblatt wanted to write a whole page on us, which is kind of absurd. There should be like more women right in Germany coming from various backgrounds, also part of the angel investment movement, because I feel like it's still like evangelistas, a few others, but it's still not as common as if we would look in UK and US. But I think that's because we don't have so much tech money because of the, our ESA problem in Germany, which is hope, hopefully now solved. You know, in the US, you have so many people that come out of one company. You have like hundreds of millionaires coming out of it that then put it back in. You know, we had we had some stories in, in Germany where a lot of people have made a lot of money. Like Zalando actually had a lot of people profit, many dudes. Same in 26, a few more women and that that made some money. But yeah, we just don't have that infrastructure of people that make significant seven-digit money from tech jobs that have the tech experience to then pass it on to to founders. True. And when it comes to more like, I'm thinking about more like established families in Germany and more like suburbs. And they're really risk-averse. Risk-averse. Yeah. And often not like that inclined to do angel investing. But there are some people. For example, like someone that's built a really amazing group of female investors is SAP. You know, that's a tech company. It's not like startup anymore, but, you know, people have made a lot of money there and they're putting it back in. So this is all the Encourage Ventures ladies who are amazing and doing an amazing job down there. That's really great to hear. So tell me about Oxo. So at some point, like you guys were doing it without any particular brand. And at some point you were like, you know what, let's start Oxo. You want to know how we came up with the name? Tell me. So first of all, how did we come up with the company? We were introduced through someone that's quite well known, Kati Ernst, the founder of Ouya Period Panties. So Katy Ansel is quite well known now at the point she wasn't well known, but she was an old friend of Giza's and I bumped into her just literally at an event. We spoke for five minutes. She's like, do you know Tina? Uh, do you know Giza? It's like, no, I don't know Giza. Who's that woman? And um, she introduced us. And we ended up sitting in a bar until 4 a.m. And we all had tiny kids. So it was a really strange thing to happen. 
and Fabiola Hochkirchen was also there. And about like a few weeks later, I met up with Gita for lunch and we started talking about jobs and work and wanting to work in VC and how it should be so flexible, but it's not because it's all the guys building all the structures and they don't maybe understand quite what we want, don't have the perfect understanding of what it requires. And for me, like one of the main things is not that I said like, hey, it's not like I want less hours, but I want to be able to turn up to work and be like, guys, I'm sorry, I slept like shit. My kids streamed all night. I might be a bit grumpy today. Suck it up. Or like today I sat in the office with a hot water bottle on my tummy because I got my period. Yeah, I don't want guys to get like red face because, yeah. So it was about like not having to hide your personal life or feeling like you have to pretend like you're not a mother. What we talked in the beginning about the right environment and authenticity, basically. Again, this is another part of it. Like if you mask all the time, it sucks your energy. You can't perform. It sucks, sucks, sucks your energy out. And this is part of what we're talking about. And and we see so great. It like gives and takes flexibility. And if you're prepared to be that way and be give and take flexibility, it's the best job and so that's how kind of Auxo came about. And we, we were talking about that. And then we started, it was one of these, after lunch, Giza and I went and was like, and started Googling and I like, sent each other like, oh my God, have you seen this article of this gender lens? Have you ever heard about that word gender lens? That's so awesome. That's exactly what we were talking about. So we just like went into this Google hole and, and then it was like, oh, we need someone who's like really experienced who's or, or before build a fund. So we asked Fabiola to come and join us. So that happened. And after like two months, we committed each 10 hours a week to each other, the three of us, and started really like doing personal DD on each other. So our angel investments that we did together, we it was really like we knew it was going to be a personal DD on each other um, in order to start a fund. Because when you do a fund, you know, you have to commit. DD due diligence. Yeah, due diligence, sorry. When you do, when for a fund, you know, a fund has, has usually a lifetime of like 10 to 12 years. And you don't just do one, you do three. So you're in it for 20 years. You know, we were in our late 30s, early 40s. It was like, this is our last job ever that we're building. So we better do good due diligence on each other. And we need to build a joint track record. So that's when we started doing angel investments together to like, be like, oh, maybe we get on, maybe it all works out. And then it did. And yeah, but let me tell you about the name because it's funny. I'm curious now. We <laughs> we were like, oh, let's go and drink 100 bottles of wine and come up with a name at 3 a.m. on a napkin. And we actually had the name before we um, the starter came because we Googled the daughters of Zeus. And the middle one is the one that's, and they like represent seasons. Right. But there's three of them, not four. And the middle one, Auxo with one X, two X, we added one X with like some artistic liberty, is in charge for the growth and taking things from spring into harvest. Okay, that's perfect. Yeah, and so we were done. There wasn't much drinking, unfortunately. Yeah, you were like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's really cool. Smart. Coming back to oh, Greek, Greek mythology, right? There's always like, you just like tap anywhere and you find like great Zeus, Zephyr, you know, like maybe something I should consider as well. The name of my podcast comes as a phrase. It's a Latin phrase, Dux Femina Facti, which means a woman was an author of her own achievements. And she founded a capital city in Kathraj, and the queen's name was Dido. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, so it was also a bit of a reference, but when I was breaking down a bit Latin and the queen's name, like I couldn't think of that as a name of a podcast, so I kept it to Women Authors of Achievement. Oh, cool. But it also has a bit of a story, right? Everything, it's like historical yeah. reference, always a great. So tell me, how many right now like startups, founders you work with, and like how do you select who you you get to invest into? 
So we have like a, we've built a machine. <laughs> no, so um, There's so much planning and strategy thinking, it seems like it's better be. No, it's not really a machine. So we usually get an email in and then it goes to Alina, who's just the most amazing person that we hired. She screens everything. We screen about 2,000 companies a year. Oh, wow. And yeah, something some things come in kind of red hot, like saying like, oh, they've already got a term sheet. We need to be super fast on this. And then we fast track, but usually it goes in. Um, uh, Alina does the first screen. Then every Tuesday we have a meeting where we go through all the things that have come in that might be interesting. Often Alina has already done the first call or she's about to do the first call. Yeah, and then we take it further if we we deem it's interesting. And what we look for is actually in the end exactly what the other VCs are looking for. We would look for like things that you can scale like hell because it's a really attractive market and a great team. Okay, so what would you say is like what are the dominant verticals in those startups? We really don't have a dominant vertical. What we really like, we really like B2B and enterprise just because it's more reliably scalable and there's very little ceiling on where you can go and on, on some things. We struggle a lot more assessing consumer stuff, although we were like the very first investors on Gitty, but we're not very good at it. Um, that's why we barely ever touch it. And it's also really hard to fundraise right now in that environment. Okay, really, because a lot of female founders are in more of the consumer focused yeah, it's very hard to get VC money on it. It's, it's okay to get angel money. And it's, in many cases, totally fine to bootstrap it because, you know, there's so many things have happened, such as, you know, Shopify, Amazon, that you can get to um, and the marketing channels that you can hack quite well, that you don't actually need that much money to start it. So what advice, if we have female founders listening, like, and they're seeking for investment for their startup, were they trying to understand how to navigate this world of venture capital? Like, what advice would you give them? Well, first of all, they need to answer the question, what kind of company are you building? So are you want, do you want to build a company that gives you a nice life and money? Or are you building a company that's going to be sold in 8 to 12 years for billions? Very different things. So you can do the same product and go one route or the other. That's within you what you want and what you're prepared to do. And that's going to answer kind of what company do you want to build is going to answer and what route do you want to go? Do you want to sell it one day? It's going to answer what kind of money can you take for it? And um, and this is what people really have to think about. Like if you come up with something and you realize, oh, I need to do this, I need 50 million, but there's no money in the market for it, it's, it's going to be hard, you know. And financeability is a cool thing. Even here, you can have the greatest idea, but if it's not financeable, you're not going to be able to build it. So it's about how can you finance that idea that you have. Since the recording is live end of this year and we're more looking in 2024, how do you think the investment landscape will look like in 2024? I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend to. Some fortune telling. But let, yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Let me give some optimism here. So... I kept thinking during the last months that were really hard and we put a lot of work with a lot of founders on making sure that they run very lean, mm -hmm. <laughs> not spending much money, really looking into um, efficiency metrics and staying on top of the costs. What happened is that a lot of companies have happened, developed in the last years that are very lean, very efficient and selling machines. And these companies are now coming to market and and I thought this was going to happen like in Q1, Q2, and I was really excited about it. But it's kind of happening now. We're actually seeing so much more movement. Like in the last month, it's really picked up in the VC market. There's a lot of financing rounds going around suddenly again. It's like within like two months, it switched from 
zero to things are happening and things are happening fast again. And it's super exciting and so much fun. And all the founders that have like really, really worked hard in the last years together and built these amazing metrics in the companies deserve it so much. So I hope that's going to continue, that that we see a lot more extraordinarily well-built companies go really fast despite restraints, which is kind of what startup is all about. But for a time, that was just a bit too much money. Yeah, and do you think this, like, the bumpy time we had with the pandemic and other, like, crises that were impacting the economy, like, the founders learn a thing or two because now they have to think about more, like, linear sustainable structures. They have to... Do you feel like they're all suddenly, like, before it was, like, the money was just flowing in and you could just always focus on hyper growth, whether it was sustainable or not? Do you feel like now everyone is just so well aware, very grown up? Yes, different metrics I looked at. It's Which great. means it's a more challenging for like the early pre-seed. Like they need to ready like be well prepared and there's like no space for failure or to making the mistakes because the more grown up founders they're doing things right. So Yeah. Oh no, I I still think like if you can prove that you know what you're doing and you do really good planning and you good you're really thorough and you're really fast in your testing and you really stay close to your metrics, you're still gonna be able to get money for something that has good potential. You mentioned a couple of times, like finding the gaps and helping people to fill in. But when you have so many startups, when you have so many applications, do you actually have capacity to give that mentorship and fill in those gaps that they have? Yeah, we try. We try. So we try to stay away from a lot of the governance work that the lead investor usually takes us because we're only that, because we're only co-investors. So we try to be there for the hard times when it's really hard. And this is also something that's working out really nicely is that we get called when it gets really hard. And when the founder really doesn't know what to do and is maybe a little too worried about to take it to the lead investor. So we try to be there exactly for that and not for the daily stuff, let's put it that way. And if we talk about in general, I mean, every time I see like yearly or annual reports on the landscape on female founders and just in general, like diversity founders, it seems like the percentage is growing, but it's very tiny, tiny steps Although there are so many efforts happening, like you being in the space for so long and you seeing how the ecosystem is operating from the funds to the applications to the, I don't know, governmental support systems to networking, you know, you, you name it. Like, how do you think the change can happen, but like on a more like larger tempo or like larger scale? So obviously I'm very passionate about, about female fund managers. <laughs> And for that, this is something a lot of the government can do and people have actually snapped into action. For example, the European Investment Fund is now really, really strict on making sure that when you fund projects are back, do have par like some close to parity in the gender balance. And also the KFW is, is making great allowance for it because it's so important because it's so hard to rise through these little fund organizations because all funds are small, tiny organizations and, you know, like small companies, there's a ceiling where you can go. So people need to set up their own funds. So it needs to be easier to set up funds if you have the skills. So that's something obviously I'm very passionate about and that's happening so much and it's just the most fun thing to watch. And we have such a great, great gang of female general partners, as we call them, people that set up the funds. And that's something that's going to accelerate a lot of stuff um, that we haven't even seen the knock-on effect yet. And also the funds have hired aggressively not always successfully because, you know, you, you it's about this difference of like, oh, yeah, let's hire some women and like making them feel comfortable and making them stay and really bringing them into their power because they can say their opinions and really be themselves again. There we go again about all that authenticity stuff. 
we're going to see that happening then. But then there's so much more other infrastructure. I mean, let's start with childcare. <laughs> let's start with perception society, what women should be doing. Let's start with Elterngeld, that you can put it towards childcare, you know, and there's still a million, million screws you can pull up. Absolutely. Are there any like favorite funds or VCs that you work closely with or you, you would say like, oh, they're also doing really great? Oh, there's so many that we love. I mean, obviously, La Familia, what they've built is so awesome. And Yuda and Janet are just superstars and really shown a lot of people what's possible. And yeah, amazing. And we have so many amazing male allies. So one of our greatest male allies is Christian Mehrmann from Cherry Ventures, who we absolutely adore. It has always, always been supportive of us as an investor, but also he's in on the, our limited partners advisory committee. Actually, Jens from Angel Invest, also like amazing people. We work with all the people working there are amazing. John, Jack, amazing supportive of ours. And most German funds were also general um, LPs, limited partners in our fund. So it's it's such a strong network and we love a lot of them. But there is also like a secret list of people that we don't like to work with now because it's things that aren't often talked about that it's just not nice to interact with these guys. Right. Well, Unfortunately, right? There's always going to be the good, the bad, the ugly. Looking ahead and looking into 2024, what is some of the goals and maybe aspirations that the team is setting up at AUXO for, for this upcoming year? And what do you maybe like most excited about? So we're closing a second fund, <laughs> which is super hard work. We're just preparing to get ready for onboarding our investors. So we're hopefully closing our second fund. No, we will close our first, second fund. And invest in all these amazing teams that are going to come up that have really worked so hard in like all these adverse circumstances and are now there with awesome metrics. And I'm so excited to get working with them. I have two questions that people ask is like, first, they're trying out, they have some ideas. They're like early stage with maybe evaluating the idea. They want to get further. Like, how can they get some kind of feedback from the network, see if they're in the right place? Also, they just sometimes people don't know where to go to because sometimes those networking events in investment seem are very scary and very like bro culture. Where should they go? I mean, there's so many places to go. There's so many female networks. There's there's so many places, like especially like in Berlin and Munich, there are a million places to go. I think the most important thing about it is don't be shy about it. You know, like we don't look at things when we have to sign an NDA for first. Talk about your idea. The end, whether you build the big company or not, is execution. It's execution, execution, execution. So talk about your idea. An idea, very few people steal ideas. So just talk about it and you will find people and people will be, and if someone doesn't have an idea for someone you should meet, someone's not the right person you were looking for, ask, do you know anyone who might be? You know, just spread it and go everywhere with it. I think that's the like top tip on it. That's amazing. Time for my last question today. Tina, who would you like to highlight today as your woman author of achievement? I'm surrounded by the most amazing women in Germany. So I'm, like, I'm so happy every day about it. There's one person I'm seeing this week who has been by my side for nearly 10 years. It's, she's called Dagmar Bottenbruch. I don't know where you should have her on. She is the most incredible person. Her most recent work was at Silicon Valley Bank Germany. She was the managing director CEO. I don't know what her title was exactly there. And she is, she's just amazing. And she's always there. She acts from her heart. She always has the right moral compass. She's extremely successful and 
yeah, she's just got a heart of gold and a sharp mind. And anyone that gets to interact with her is a lucky person. Well, that's exciting. Thank you so much for sharing her name. And I will be like, as soon as I can, Googling her name, Dagmar. Haven't had anyone on the show, Dagmar. So that will be already like a, <laughs> a, yeah, def- a def- name. definitely a special episode. Tina, thank you so much for being on the show in this busy, busy times thank uh, you. of the year. Shining some light on the ecosystem and also sharing what you're doing at AUX. So I think it's so amazing to follow like... I interviewed Geza for the season one and just seeing how you continue pulling this through. And I, I mean, things are not easy and things haven't been easy in the last two, three years. And it's just amazing to see like this becomes like a, a strongly standing like entity here, especially like in Berlin, in Munich. You guys are also based there, right? It's between Berlin and Munich and continue growing and t- continue showing that you're here to stay and to invest in really cool kick-ass female founders and also just sharing your own story and I think for me personally like it just there's some parts of it that really spoke to me trying things out understanding yourself through that different roles and through that career growth but also reflecting on your own authentic self and understanding like where do you fit best and where where do you can bring the most value and you need to surround yourself with people way that you can do that with. Exactly. So that's what Giz and I, we talk about that with each other more than we talk about work. Because when we understand where we have our weaknesses, where we have our strengths, where we know how to work together and who we need to hire, all that stuff. 100%, right? Yeah, and, and I think that really clicks a couple of things for me because at the end of the day, like nine to five, you're working, you're like, you need to have some kind of soundboard, but you also need to be in environments where you said you can't just masks, you put on those certain roles and masks, you need to be yourself and people need to accept the certain circumstances. And I think I'm seeing this more and more, at least in the environments I work in, which I'm very happy about, and hopefully creating the same environments or fostering, helping people to find the same environments elsewhere, because that's the only way you can like pull through doing amazing things. Or aspiring to do amazing things like you and Giesa do. So thank you for sharing this. And I know you need to pick up your kid right now. So that's a wrap of today's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.